Hey, Jamie. Let me guess. You doing well? Too? Well, it's good morning again. Good morning to you. It yeah. is afternoon over where I am. So. But coffee's still to be had. So. Yes. You know, it's cold. It's cold where I am, so I could drink coffee all the time. 80. Literally. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. It is, t- I think, 29 over here. Wow. Yeah, that totally, I mean, we are the, we are the extremes on the podcast. So yeah, you sure are. One hour uh, I time mean, difference. I mean, and... I mean, we could, we could be 29 tomorrow. I mean, who knows? It is Texas after all, but. Uh... Yeah. When, when was the, because I teach in HVAC and energy systems class, I have brought up the Texas ice storm from last year. Without, no, it was this because it was. Knock, knock on wood. Yeah. That was, was January, right? end of january beginning yeah. of february yeah, yeah. which february yeah, I use that as an example of infrastructure and so on i oh, hope yeah. that does not occur again well yeah i hope i hope so although too. Um, with climate change right that the some of the things well, are to think about are that it's not going to be fluke deals anymore right well it's, it's a, yeah that, that's right it, i think that's the whole thing is that the the premise of something like that is predicated on the fact that climate change is you know, increasing the, the need to address energy needs and climate situations that we weren't necessarily dealing with at the, at the level and extent that we were previously. So, of course, you have to do something. And part of that resilience is in being prepped. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and preparing, like you were just talking about, sounds like with your students, infrastructure. So in a year's time, there's been a lot of reporting in the last month, month and a half or so, where people in the news media are sort of circling back. Reporters are, are looking at stories because the weather's changing. It's the fall. It's going into the winter here. And people are saying, OK, is the is the electrical grid? Because the, the real issue was sort of power and the electrical mm-hmm. grid and where we get power. Yeah. Where, where we get power, what that distribution looks like, what sources are there? How did we tap into reserves, all those things and, and maintenance and have things progressed? Have they done things? Have they really, and the, the verdicts appears to be no, no one has really kind of redoubled efforts or really made any significant alterations or changes. So it's going to be sort of a, like, yeah, let's let it ride year two wow that's that's i mean because there's millions or billions of dollars of of funds needed to to make those maintenance repairs and upgrades and tune-ups because i think part of the issue was some monies that were not spent and so wire high, high power line infrastructure kind of weakened we're, we're we're in weakened condition or susceptible to the ice storm issue so well, well i mean and, and that was the, and that was the thing is i think it's from the from the circling back to how we got into this about the climate is that yeah so climate change has exacerbated the extent of those types of storms and weather events. And so that's that was the thing was no one expected that the whole state to be hit because Texas is a big state and no one expected to be that extent of the grid, that extent of the state to yeah. be hit all, all at the same yeah. time with, with a very, very similar need. And that was the part that from the infrastructure side, they're like, we never accounted for this. We right. never thought that this day would happen. Right. And it's like, well, what, what's your worst case scenario? Oh, well, this wasn't it. We had, we hadn't planned for the worst case scenario. So it's like, okay, well now you've seen it. What's, <laughs> what do you do in, in to plan for the next worst case scenario? And right. now that we've lived through it and the, and that's the scary part is that they, people who are much smarter than us probably, and who analyze this stuff have, have sort of come back that the verdict is we're not prepared. Yeah. Um, which is scary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope you don't hit a, we don't get a weather event that is well equal to, let's just say it, it probably will be some kind of weather event, but hopefully it won't be equal to the severity of last this year. 
yeah yeah this, for sure this, this last the last winter i should say anyway so yeah. we, we we tend to we'll go wade into some of these hot button tense issues when we we set up our goals for podcasts we we try and pick out sketches to to keep it keep it light and airy and then light and airy you know Kurt, kurt's the the doom and gloom kurt over here wants to like drag okay. us into uh the abyss. Well, I was talking to my students about HVAC and climate change. Yeah, right. Well, I, yeah, I got to find a way to make that sound exciting. So, so Monday, so tomorrow, ooh, I gave away the day of the week is so tomorrow is the last lecture for the semester. And then, do you bring cupcake? Do you bring cupcakes for that? I don't think Seeing... I get. I don't think I get paid enough to bring cupcakes. In. Oh. Actually, so I have a teacher studio as well, and my they're sophomores, second year students. And one of them divulged that her birthday is tomorrow. So I might, I might, I might do something being their sophomores. They're so close to high school, another doom and gloomy kind of <laughs> point to make, but it has come up in conversation as we approach the end of the semester. So this second year cohort, these, these students are, were, were ones that did a if they did a graduation, they did a high school drive-through graduation, right? Because mm. of COVID. So these they they really have missed a lot of sort of social milestones, touchstones in their lives. That so that makes me want to bring cupcakes in just just because everyone could use a cupcake. Everyone could use cupcake. Absolutely. They might also walk away with a coffee sketch podcast pin. Okay. Yeah. Because I still have some of those. Could just like set it in the icing on the cupcake. <laughs> after I <clears throat> after I spray it down with some sanitizer. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. There was a. There's actually there's a sketch of recently that included a cupcake. I don't know if you caught that or not. Oh, I don't know. <clears throat> are we Are we going to be talking about? We're not going to be talking about. We're not that talking one. about that one today. No, no. But I don't know if you caught that one because I'm not a big sweets person. But I have to say that a really good cupcake goes a long way. Yeah, good one. It definitely. Yeah, bad cupcake. Not much to write about. Yeah. Kind of avoid well, those. Sorry. What? What were you going to say? <laughs> Nothing. I didn't. I didn't know where to. I didn't know where to go after like bad cupcake. You don't, I mean, that's nothing to, to write about. Like, seriously. No. Yeah. Good ones. Or, or do sketches about, for sure. Well, we'll have to cover that on a future. We'll have to circle back. Future episode, we'll find that cupcake sketch. So for those of you with your coffee sketch podcast bingo card, that's when you fill in the circle back. You can you can mark that on your, your, <laughs> your bingo card right now. Circle back. Kurt Put a says, pin in it. Cir- mark. Kurt says circle back and like, jamie says mark the tape is another yeah, one we should of, make a bingo card that would be kind of fun I feel like a holiday bingo card we can do it as a game and people yeah. can like watch and follow along and it could be some in merch we need merch like that we do we do need some well we are working on the coffee beans mm-hmm. this yeah. is true so we need we need additional swag merch. all this wait, stuff wait is it swag when it's free and merch when it costs money I think so. Is that it's how okay. it works? Like clearly we're the business like elite here, right? We're trying to monetize the podcast with our best guesses, right? Yeah. Totally Too much guesses. swag, not enough merch. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so what's in your uh, cup? Uh, so <clears throat> I was trying to allude to and shout out to Joel, right? Always a friend. I'm where I'm drinking out of the mug that he sent us that is a local of a local uh, roaster of his. So, but in, but today I got, speaking of sweets, I got gifted since we are near the end of the year, I got a holiday basket from a colleague that included some Godiva hot chocolate, dark chocolate, hot chocolate Godiva. So I decided on a day like today, to surprise Jamie with a non-coffee beverage. That's that that flows into the whole cupcake discussion. So that yeah. I I totally approve. 
especially if you say it's 29 degrees outside. That's crazy. It is definitely hot cocoa day. It, it is, is 80. It is 80 degrees in Austin, Texas. So, but for, for Texas, that's hot cocoa day as well. Right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's like, why, why? Well, we know it's it? cupcake day. It definitely cupcake I mean, weather. Yeah. <laughs> so what about you? I, I brought my props today. So what is that there? Tweed, so, tweeds, tweedies. Yeah. So, so the, the font should almost look familiar to you, like as a, a new Twin Peaks connoisseur of the television series. Oh, yes. So, yes, this is this is the actual coffee from the cafe. You can you can you can order it online and have it delivered. So I got gifted what? this. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? I didn't know this was a thing, but I found out it was a thing when this arrived as a present from somebody. Look at so, that. It's got the Twin Peaks on the top there. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it, come, and it comes Cherry with pie. swag. It, it does come with some swag. I got the right term. So, like, there was, like, uh, a whole bar diner. Pay, you, you didn't pay for the extra no. stuff. Well, I mean, it was all a gift anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, oh. but, yeah. And it says a, a, damn, a, a damn fine cup of coffee. Home of Twin Peaks cherry pie. Wait, is that actually a restaurant? Yes. Yeah. It's a real, it's a real place. So they, um, the name of the place in the show is a real place. Is a it, real place. It's probably a stage. No, or no, maybe... it's, a, it's, it's a real building. It's a real cafe that they've, that they, they used for a location. They used as a, as a real location. Yeah. I can't, I can't believe it. Yeah. So you can That's actually rare. go, so you can actually go and have, in coffee the booth there, and and cherry pie. Yes, you can do the whole thing, and maybe even would, a donut. I would be afraid that um. Oh, now I forget his name, but he would be out of jail, and he'd be walking through the. <laughs> what's his name? Leo. No, not Leo. The other, the other, <laughs> the husband of the the coffee shop owner. God, I can't remember the name. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Is it Ray? Yeah. Ray. Right. Am I right? Right. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I thought you were, I thought you were talking about Leo. Cause I knew that like early on, I'm not it, was, it, was, Leo. it was, it was fun watching with you. Cause you're like, Leo doesn't seem, he just seems kind of like a punk. <laughs> still, I still, yeah. still, uh, still not super. Although I've gotten deep enough into it to where, well, I mean, it's no spoiler alert. If we talk about Leo's sort of zombie paralysis state, is it? I no, don't know. No, no. At this point, thirty years later. Can no, I think I think I think you're not really doing any spoilers now. That that part gets a little a little scary. It gets a little strange. Yeah. But no, the I think the reason I I'm more afraid of the ex husband is the fact that I haven't seen that part play out as to his intentions hmm. being mm-hmm. back. I gotta get I gotta get back and finish that. And I honestly want to. Anyway, this is what. You got me down a Twin Peaks rabbit hole, but we, yep. that's a really nice. I mean, that was a really nice. So that was Jason. There. Jason, yeah, Jason. I figured actually, it would have yeah, been yeah, a yeah. Jason gift. Which good segue to to Jason is I <clears throat> for fun as I went back and I I edited the video portion of our recording with Jason since that was like the oh, first yeah the first that's... time we had, well I guess this technical second time. But our second guest, so but that was mm-hmm. so we, episode fifty, sort of a milestone for us. We went back, we had a conversation with Jason, talked about the Twin Peaks anniversary. So I edited that and put it on our YouTube channel, which is new for the podcast. You know, we so anything that we have visual or video side of this thing, well, I'm going to try and get loaded onto the YouTube so that. YouTube channel so that people can uh, also see any of the sketches or engage visually Fantastic. with our stuff. So, <clears throat> so it was kind of fun to re-edit that. And I did a little bit different edit, I kind of, I don't know, I cut it down a tiny bit. Mm-hmm compared to the audio and no that's fun. Now, nice to now, revisit. now now that's like that's like it's like extra bonus gifts for me. It's like I get the coffee. Which is actually quite good, by the is way. It, I, yeah, it's, it better it be a damn fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was like, 
gosh, live up to expectations here. Is um, it, does it automatically, does the instructions tell you to make it as dark as midnight on a <laughs> need, they need They need to, they need to add instructions on the back. That so, would be, um, it's almost like you probably have to do two scoops for every cup. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> Just like add extra. Well, no, that's actually, oh, that's, that's a nice surprise. Well, great. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And, and actually the fun part with YouTube is you can, you have to, well, you have to upload a thumbnail, right? So that you have some kind of, and and I have been for the the video episodes that we've been doing lately. So 80, 89, 88, going back about five or six episodes. And then, and now we have the Twin Peaks episode. I, I use, I've got a logo or not the, the logo of the podcast and then our faces and Instagram. I know, it, I, I saw that. I, I was like, that looks pretty slick i mean but for the twin peaks one there's a easter egg as Mm. i swapped out the imagery so so Mm. the thumbnail is different so this this is gonna be a fun one okay cool i hope you like it a little kooky it's a little uh, twin peaksy okay is it the left arm is it the left arm no 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 but some other other reference referential imagery i should leave it there okay so so that you can circle every time kurt says circle back yes somebody gets a bingo or cheers cheer so that's fun yeah that's a that's a fun little it was fun to go back and do that and kind of listen to jason's his take on thing i really it's kind of it's a little embarrassing for me though because i'm i still had only seen like one episode and i'm sitting there like oh oh okay that's how which I'm, I'm trying to like, I was like, chop, 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 chop. <laughs> I, I know so much more now. Like, yeah, it's, it's still fun to do though. It's still fun. We should probably do another. Maybe. Well, uh, yeah. We've talked about watching the movie, the three of yeah. us, and maybe we can work the tech into that. That would be sort of, that'd yeah. be sort of a, maybe a special bonus. We, we talk about our outtakes. That would be sort of the special bonus. So that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. So, but on, on today, we were going to talk about a couple other things, which are, are I, I have not yet figured out if we have a, a good segue to those sketches, but one, I have one, but I'm not sure it might be. It's, we're just going to, because we went down the Twin Peaks sort of, sort of spooky little rabbit hole, let's go with the Dallas sketch first. And because I think in the news, it's sort of almost absurdist a little bit, I think at this point, but yeah, you had the right one. Yeah. yeah. yeah so there's, so there's a lot of like, if, if you occasionally will you know, look at you know, news on Twitter or it was on in the news cycle just for a very, very brief amount of time. But on November 22nd, 1963, JFK um, was assassinated in Dallas, which was an incredibly momentous you know, event and incredibly sad and still is very sad to, to think of that. But in the news cycle, there's some weirdness where people think he's coming back from the dead. Um, <laughs> and... I'm not going to go any further in discussion of that other than that's completely absurd. But I think what the segue for me is like, let's not go Twin Peaks and <laughs> let's sort of stick to the sketch. Cause I think I did this sketch on, on the anniversary and, and then you thought it was really, really interesting. And then we got to talking about the definition of a cenotaph. And so, yeah, this is, uh, this is the sketch that I did a couple weeks ago on November 22nd, Were you- 20, 2021. Were you there? Because you were in. No, Dallas no, at the no, I, 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 I wasn't. Yeah, I, I had been up there, but, but I wasn't there on this particular day. But it, and it's, it's, it's a space I've been a bunch, and so found an image that I had of it, and did a quick sketch oh, okay. from it, and, and, and created a little bit of a composition kind of idea, which I think ends up really success, like way more successful than I thought it was going to be. I thought it might be the verticality of the lines in, in the background because the, the, the empty tomb that Philip Johnson designed for the site has sort of vertical ribbing mm-hmm. on the exterior. And that's really the, the, it's very, very stripped down. There's no ornament, hardly any ornament at all mm-hmm. to the surface of the material. And, and it sort of struck me that the, 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 the spacing of that and then the, the slot where you sort of enter the space with that familiar linear background 
that I've been using for skies mm-hmm. would, would really kind of allow that space to get generated in, in a really flat image and, and sort of a dead on mm-hmm. perspective too. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it, it turned out a lot better than I thought. So, but I'm curious what, what your reaction to it. And then I know that we've, you know, talked a little bit more about sort of the architect. Well, yeah, the, the, I mean, yeah, the, the sky, the nice sort of what we call as architects parallel lines, since there's a little squiggle in there, but for an architect, that is a, it, that's a parallel line <laughs> in a sketch form, but it creates a nice texture and backdrop to the, to the very, I mean, it's a very austere and quiet, I guess, design when you, when, when looking at the actual from a Google map or street view or other photographs of, from his, his own designs and models of the building to the actual construction of it. I mean, it's a very symmetrical and and sort of static, uh, static building meant to be kind of relatively quiet and, and contemplative as we, as we talked about. Then the, in the construction of it too, with that, well, before I go into the detail in the building, you talk about the sketch. And so the way you've rendered the building the cenotaph, the the memorial space against the backdrop of the 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 sky, and and sort of one point perspective, it, it stands out as a very. I mean, it, it's got a nice sort of presence to it. I guess for one points, you know, one points can look relatively flat, almost like two dimensional. But in this case, it's still there's still enough there that represents the bulk or the, the sort of three dimensional box frame of this building once we get into the detail the the volume of this space well and and that's and that's true is i think i think that's the sort of the tricky part is that i'm glad you kind of observed that is i don't do one point perspectives very i'll i will do them as diagrams as i'm sort of thinking through Mm -hmm. layers of space but i rarely spend a lot of time on them so and i'll maybe do multiple one one point perspective diagrams trying different elements but then I'll, I'll usually, when I decide to really render a space, that's when I'll, I'll switch to more of a two point or something or, or sort of a different, different kind of interesting vantage point. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing then to the building or the, I call it a building, but I mean, it, the construction of it. Right. It's lifted. It's, so it's this sort of box, open top box, four walls with the space in between that, that you can walk into the center of it. And then it's lifted a few feet up on the corners and it's either precast, is it a precast structure or a cast in place concrete I, building? I, I believe, I believe they're all precast elements because yeah. at the corners they're, they're, they're sort of tied and that's what you're, you're seeing. I don't know how that detail particularly works. I'm sort of curious about it now that we're oh. talking about it. The, the you buttons, can sort of see, sort of. yeah, you see the buttons there. So I, my understanding is that, that there's some precast elements that are set into place. And then some of the column structure ends up touching the ground, but in sort of pinpoints, and you kind of see those in the sketch and mm-hmm. those track around the edge of the building or the space, but the, but there's some real strong cantilevers kind of going mm-hmm. on as well to really emphasize the notion of this box being floated mm-hmm. um, and then there's a a small little plinth in the center so you when you walk so this one point perspective the slot goes all the way through and then it's intersected at the center of the space with and and these walls are thick too they're 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 probably a good two foot thick mm-hmm. panel so you really kind of feel like you've moved in through a portal sort of slipped through it it's because it's not portal like it feels like you've sort of slipped into the space you almost it's wide enough that you don't have to like turn your shoulders or anything like that but it it has that presence about it Mm -hmm. and so then you kind of enter this empty tomb and you're confronted by a plinth that is in the center of the space and so it's again this sort of notion of is this capping something a cenotaph, by definition, is a an empty tomb because somebody is interred, buried somewhere else. Their their remains are are, are somewhere else. They're not on the, on the particular site, but the the it's but it acts as a memorial here, and this is only 
two and a half blocks from Dealey Plaza uh, in the sixth floor building where all the events of that day really transpired. And then the court and the jail is also <laughs> right there. So the, the place where Jack Ruby was, was assassinated was, mm-hmm. well, he wasn't assassinated. Oswald was assassinated by yeah, Jack Ruby. Ruby. And, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I saw something recently where, and I did not know this, or if I did, I had forgotten it, but the cell that Oswald was being kept in, in the jail that's like right next to all this stuff, when Jack Ruby ended up getting arrested for assassinating Oswald, Ruby was put in Oswald's cell, which wow. just to me is just like layers of crazy on top yeah. of, but yeah. I think maybe that, well, there's, that's, there's so that's, much mystique that has grown around the, the whole, the whole event in history. Well, and, and I think that the only thing I would add to, cause I know that we're going to talk about another sketch is we'd be remiss if we didn't say that Johnson himself is arguably a really important architectural figure, but at the same time, one that has a very, very complicated history of which people, some people aren't, aren't aware of, or as they become aware of it, then want to completely, they, they just don't even know how to, to, to battle yeah. with the notion of who this person is. I mean, cause yeah. he, he was a Nazi sympathizer and, but at the same time was considered probably the father of the star architect kind of you know yeah. concept and yeah. and has and has built works all over the US and really influenced you know right right or wrong influenced generations of of architects and architecture at least in the United States and so i, I think some of his work is is really really interesting to study and then some of it is I think people, even on the architecture criticism side, would say it's pretty terrible. So <laughs> it, it I, 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 I throw that in in the mix. There's a, there's a really good book out right now for kind of talking a little bit more about not just the architecture and the influence of somebody, but the multidimensional aspect of this person's life. And 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 that's by the Dallas's architecture critic Mark Lamster. He has a book out about Johnson. Uh, came out of maybe a year, year and a half ago now, but it it it, it doesn't pull any punches. I mean, it, it definitely talks about all the you know, terrible things that that this you know person was involved in as well. So yeah, that that'd be interesting to to read, circle back on. So the one thing before we switch, yeah, I, I actually was wondering. We I think we forgot to mention this is Philip Johnson. I don't know if I didn't I didn't say the name. So this is a Philip Johnson design. And you, you and I did a little Google map tour of Dallas before we started recording. And so there's some interesting, there's a lot of interesting things in, in the development of Dallas's downtown areas and a lot of notable buildings. But we, we panned over to the book depository building, which is a relatively squarish building which we know you know has the sixth floor right is where the shots were fired from but this the the cenotaph here kind of has this squarish almost i don't know if it's six stories tall but it's pretty tall square cube of a building that is lifted although and then it's it kind of has this book and i mean i don't want to get too literal but like the way the form of the the perimeter of this thing is like open books. I don't know if, I don't know what Philip Johnson's concepts were in designing it, but at least at minimum, the square, the square design of the cenotaph has a physical sort of reference to the squarish book depository structure, a, a, a cube in a cube in, in town. So I don't know. That's just something I just was kind of thinking as we were panning around and, looked at it that particular way and but I, I i can say that i am pretty familiar with with that that location and just sort of walking around it i mean it, it's it, it is it is a really it, it's a strange space and 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 when you say bookend regardless of the connection to the depository i think that's it's that's one way to sort of grapple with the the tectonics the the form the shape of this particular memorial is it's 
it's strange to be outside it and then inside it. it you get really two very different sensations of where you are in the city. Sound really changes, obviously. It's open to the sky. So sort of your James Sorrell kind of moment. Yeah. But it's, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, I think it's, it's a difficult, and, and, and honestly too, I think that there's a lot of folks who, even people, residents of Dallas don't even know what this thing is, which is sort of sad. Or if they do, it's just sort of like quietly not spoken about. Yeah. But, there, but, but John, but John, you know, and Johnson has other works in town too, yeah. that are maybe not as remarkable or historically important. But then there are other ones that really are really interesting and pretty, pretty fantastic structures as well. So, but yeah, this, this one, especially on that day is, is one, one that I, I often think about. What, what year, what year this was? Set 1970. So, so, okay. Yeah. And so it was apparently Johnson was very connected to the, the, the Kennedy family. And, and so I, I, in reading some of, of his history and, because it was like, oh, well, how did, how did he get selected for this? Because IMP ended up designing the presidential library, from which is in Boston. And I, I think Johnson might have had some, something to do with that as well. But because then there's also, but it, it, I think from what I understand about the library is that Jacqueline Kennedy really liked Pay's work. And so it, that's, you know, he was also doing the East Wing of the National Museum of Art on the Smithsonian. So there's, there's a couple kind of pay projects that are sort of all sort of tied Mm. Uh, and pay has an important building in Dallas much later and had done some skyscraper work in Dallas as well, Mm -hmm. which was oil related. And so I don't know if Johnson had anything to do with those, those selections or influence, because that was the thing. I think that it's, it's difficult to just completely, I mean, you can't, you definitely have to talk about Johnson's complicated history and, and, and seedy history, frankly. But at the same time, his influence and connection to a lot of different mm-hmm. architects, even in, even in them, from what I understand, even them getting commissions to do other work that he had nothing to do with. So there was a lot of, and I think that's also sort of the king building kind of idea. It's like, oh, I've anointed you as, as my architect of choice this decade for these types of these types of projects. And yeah. on John and on Johnson's estate, there are a series of pavilions of different artists and architects that he anointed for a particular you know uh, period of time. That's true. Yeah, he didn't always design them himself. There were certain right. he. Almost, there's a strange, and we can segue to, I mean, a collaborator even. I mean, he and me, right. Vandero, mm-hmm. worked together. And let me switch to the other sketch, because we were trying to, to, to brainstorm as like a little sort of segue or a tie-in with some of these these two sketches. Uh, maybe not physically, as far as their design, but is, is their relationships between the individuals, that Philip Johnson and Mies Vandero. And and then having grown up on the East Coast in Connecticut, I, I used to drive past the house, the glass house on occasion in New Canaan. Yeah, because I, I grew up not very far. And I actually worked in New Canaan for a little while. And so I would, on my way home, I would just take the long way. Well, the, the non-highway path to take the streets. And I could go through the countryside a little bit and and right and go right past the glass house and I, you'd have to stand there's a stone wall on ponent on the road ponus ridge and then see you, you got to kind of get out and and you got to like peek over the stone wall because it's not at the street it's pretty far it's like 40 acres i think he has maybe a little less and I just kind of look at it but then you see the you can get glimpses of the other he treated his property as kind of like this experimental landscape of testing out different different styles different generations or uh what's the word now i don't want to say genre but i guess it's just I, I don't even want to say the word style either but just different approaches and techniques i guess in construction design other architects influences and and so on i mean he, so he didn't well, design mean, them all you know right yeah well i mean and that's the whole thing is i think that it's for those who aren't as familiar with Philip Johnson and, and might be you know looking up 
him as an individual is here's a person that lived into their late 90s and 98 i think yeah 98 i mean and and came from a family of money and wealth so it was but the the interest in art and architecture and the influence that he had for 75 80 years while he was an adult the he staged and curated some of the first modern architecture shows at at MoMA at the Museum of Modern Art in in New York City and and like you said worked with somebody like who we're we're seeing in this sketch and yep. so that those collaborations that you're sort of alluding to on his property he was doing that all throughout his career and i and i think that that's the thing is that it's sort of like, I can almost imagine it jokingly is like Philip Johnson just shows up at your party and, and like wants to, you know, help you finish that sketch. But there was a certain sort of madman-esque, if we were to reference the TV show Mad Men, that he made architecture when you, well, of the recordings that exist of him in conversation and interview and, and so on, that the sort of he reflects upon it and the stories kind of sound a little bit of the era of Mad Men, that, like the TV show, the sort of New York, the, you know, the high paced New York lifestyle with like spending lots of money involved and sort of this, this sort of aura around it. Right. And, and. Well, I mean, and I, I did get to meet him once. Oh, um, really? Yeah. I, wow. I, I never, I never, uh, actually, I think I saw him. I peeked over the stone wall once and I could like see, <laughs> see him. I could see a guy walking between, he had that, the guest house and the glass house, right? They were like next. And I could see a guy that would appear of age and size and stature of, of him. That's as far, but that's a thousand feet away. <laughs> so where were you? Did you, where'd you wind up meeting? Graduates, when I was in graduate school. Jury. Sort of. It was more like, like Listen I think we, <laughs> yeah, it was more like, more like we were, we were invited to hear him and his thoughts. But it was, and, and clearly at that point, there was not to go into the complete backstory of why he was on campus, but it was, it was a very interesting moment for College Station, Texas, and Texas A and M to have somebody like Johnson on campus in the Architecture College holding hand. And we were actually at a point where we were going through our accreditation process, so there was there was a lot of materials already collected from multiple levels of the college, and yeah. so models, drawings, all that stuff. And so there was an opportunity to display all that in a, in our internal gallery uh -huh. and and then sort of curated and so he was there and held court for some of the students some of the faculty and who were in attendance and kind of talking about things and i i happened to be in a in a position where i was able to meet him my mentor at the time and and had met him multiple times and had some very strong opinions about him that he would share with me in advance of his arrival. But it was it was nice. I, I I did get to meet him, meet him, and talk to him on the side a little bit. And yeah, he definitely is. There there are certain people that that many decades of architecture and influence. It's good or bad. It's it's very evident in their presence when they can sort of have that recall of different periods, different buildings, you mm -hmm. know, different places. And he was. He was really incredibly sharp for in that he would have been, yeah, he would have been about, I think he was 90 at the time. So oh, really, um, yeah, 89 or 90. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and I brought, I sort of brought up the, the madman thing. I mean, but they were, practicing. I gave him a t-shirt. I gave him a t-shirt <laughs> that I had designed. So I did oh. give him, I did give him a parting gift. I gave him a t-shirt that I had designed. wonder if he ever wore it. <laughs> uh, probably not. Probably burned it, but, or used it as a rag, dish rag. Um, not that he would like ever wash a dish. Like, let's be honest. But he, he had did, staff for sure. Yeah, he had yeah. staff for that. But he did, I'll just say he signed one of my sketches. And there's a story behind that that I will save for another day. But yeah. he, so one of my little <laughs> black, black sketchbooks has a Philip Johnson signature over the top of a drawing that he did not do. This is the sorts of things that do occur in our, our education the sequence of years that we go through all the stages of life, coming into architecture school, graduate school, setting, and then early years working with others, and then just being around juries and things like that. Because we would, back in 
in LA, we would go to Cyarchs juries for final reviews and go to UCLA and and Wood, Woodbury because we had these schools of architecture, multiple in the city that we could kind of see the different philosophies. And then you you get random every once in a while with somebody like, well, in, in, in my case, it would have been like a Tom Main or a Peter Cook or Pre often would be found in Cyark. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like kind of thinking back again to what you, your point on like the Kingmaker thing though, is that Philip Johnson, Mies van der Rohe at the time as their contemporaries to each other and, and, and kind of elevating to this, this point in, in, in prominence in, in the mid century of the country, United States and developing all these big buildings. I think that sort of sets up a certain air or uh, mystique to the profession or an added aspect of this profession that isn't, you don't learn that, but you're, if you're around it or exposed to it, there's this sort of lineage to it, right? So then, so then when we were going through school and I would see even back then, Tom Main and Wolf and Peter Cook getting in the room together. And they, I, there was one time, there was this weird special, special lecture that USC put together. And it was Wolf, Peter Cook, and Tom Main in the same room. And there was no specific, there was no slides. It was literally just to let them talk, right? They put chairs up on stage. There wasn't even moderation. Like there was no Q&A or like, they, they did receive, they did field questions from students, but it wasn't, there was no plan. They were just happened to be in LA, I guess, at the same time. And Tom Main's on the chalkboard and they're like sketching on with chalk with each other. And the, and the, and the title of the lecture was navel gazing. They got into this, these all kinds of very debate. They would debate with each other. It was very, it was, it was a really interesting, intriguing. What and they so, needed, what they needed was Zaha Hadid, who was the, also their contemporary. Her, they needed her, yeah, they needed her like at the, at the edge of the table, like just like as they debated with one another, that would have been. To, yeah. I'm trying to remember if, if I've ever, uh, I think I saw her speak once at Cyark, I want to say, but I don't know. Did you, have you ever? I, I did. I got to. I did get to see her speak once, which was fantastic in Philadelphia. Actually, there was she keynoted AIA National one one year. She was one of the keynotes, uh, and it was the most bizarre setup. And like she was, she was fantastic. I mean, once she got into her kind of more prepared remarks, but I just recall like when she started to talk. It was like, it reminds me like in like today's terms, it would be like when there's technical difficulties on the Zoom and somebody is having difficulty with the Zoom and like kind of like, is this mic on? Like, can you hear me now? Uh, kind of, kind of concept, but it wasn't, she wasn't doing that. It was, she was start getting ready. She had been introduced and she kind of walked up and was getting ready to speak. And there was like, like ferns, like over to the side and she could hear people talking behind her. None of us in the audience could, could hear or see them. Right. But, but she kind of made some like offhand remark, like for the people in the ferns, like I can still hear you talking or yeah. something like that. And it was just like, let's show some respect to the, right. the person who's at the mic and right. clear, clearly the keynote. It was like, yes, like, let's show her some respect. I mean, yeah. we, we, we of course couldn't hear any of that. So it was just, it was sort of this weird, like oh, she kind of, uh pivots and sort of says something off to the side but it was like as as much as she was saying it for their benefit she was also saying it for our benefit you know right. and i was like yes yeah Excellent. yeah it's probably yeah back in the in the days before like where they had the conferences evolved over the years and now they do this sort of theater in the round but back then it was more plenum or plenary what do you call it uh proscenium style yes yes exactly stage on the end and everybody sit sort of facing the stage one. and they did have a lot of green room-esque there's a lot of back, back of house stuff back of you. house spaces yeah well and it was funny was the just as you talked about the panel made me think is they did so she spoke in the keynote and then she was also on sort of a, a panel with other 
kind of luminary architects that were at, in attendance and were speaking in different capacities. I don't remember all the people that were on her panel, other than that Legaretta was on the panel with her and and also Denise Scott Brown. Oh. I don't know if Venturi might have been also on the panel, but I'm not sure. But it was very, very evident that Denise Scott Brown and Zaha did not like one another. And but but not from a like a like a disrespectful kind of way. It was just that they had very, very different points of view yeah, about sure. architecture and design and theory. And they yeah. were the two of them were having this fantastic debate. At least this is me kind of in my mind remembering <laughs> it. And that Legaretta could not keep up. Like he just like he was not like not able to like and so it was like why don't we just like let him go get a coffee or something like like, let the two of them just keep going this is great like we can do this another hour it is it is fun the i i think nowadays i feel like they plan they plan out things so much more to to sort of prescribe or script it to, to a degree that you don't get those serendipity moments where the you know, two of four panelists will just go on a tear on their own, on their own tangent and, and so on. Like, kind of like the, I mean, I w- the thing at USC was not as big as the national conference, but back then I could, I could imagine the, the personalities. I think that this, there are a lot of good, great architects that are practicing right now that are sort of the next generation. I mean, we're kind of going off on this sort of a tangent on the sort of lineage of different or the family tree of architecture. But it's really interesting to think that there's a lot of really, really good architecture being done now by another generation, but there's not really, I don't know if it's possible to have that same level of sort of personality that the, the generation with Zaha and Tom Main and Wolf and and then go back to Mies and Philip Johnson and probably Gropius and and people of that that other generation, right? And 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 I don't know what it what has changed it, right? Is it like the the sort of digitization and social media availability? And because I was recently, I don't know what I was watching in a YouTube video of some some other you know, architecture story or something like that, but you only had. You either had these interactions like in a live setting, and then you had magazines and books and other ways to, there was no YouTube, there was no social media and all, all the all the available outlets now that you can kind of curate a, a presence, right? Or, or a, a persona. And so, I don't know, there, there's a lot of good architects now, but there's not that sort of attitude that- Well, I, that I think makes it's- it, it does. I mean, I, I know where you're coming at from, and I think it's the, what was unique about that generation and maybe some generations a little bit before that were that a lot of them also wrote. There was, a, they were doing a lot of writing and, and then, and, and also there was a lot of writing about them. And so I think that some of that was trying to distill these kind of concepts um, into words and sort of dissect them and debate them. And I think that we're, and there was also a level of architecture criticism, both in the public discourse, or at least to some degree in the public discourse. People, you had some some good architecture critics in some of the you know major yeah. metropolitan areas that were trying to talk about bigger ideas. Right or wrong, were they capturing all the ideas that they needed to be talking about societally? I don't think so. But it's it was interesting. It was it was, and I think that there's some overlap with what you're what you're referring to. But I would. I'd maybe take the counter argument that there, there are a lot of architects, architecture firms that I think are having or shifting the dialogue and the theory, and for lack of a better term, and, and are presenting those things. But I'm, I'm just not sure that the, well, I think what's maybe different is that it's not that the ideas are any less valid or any, and I don't think that's what you were saying. No. Or, or, or any less influential, it's I think that we're before there was a level of curation that was being done from unseen forces, yeah. these sort of systemic forces of sort of curation. So it was it was easier to digest movements and trajectories and and influential individuals. And now we're 
the, the level of curation is that we're we're able to access so much more information yeah. as a profession that that there's more out there and that the concepts of team and partnerships and different parts yeah. of the different parts of the world that weren't necessarily part of the the rote course of architecture history a very narrow slice of it i think all of those influences are are now much more accessible, maybe not as accessible as they need to be, but they're much more accessible. And I think that's, it's, it's made for almost too much information probably for a profession to digest. Like what I think of when you were sort of talking about sort of the influences was less about the people and more about sort of the movements and concepts and sort of the genealogy of the concepts. And so like, I think of like Charles Jenks and that sort of that history diagram that he has where yeah. he sort of tries, yeah. tries to draw the exactly. influences yeah. and, and, and allow people to kind of occupy the different spaces. Yeah. I would love for somebody like that to exist today and try and tackle sort of not necessarily reinterpret what he did, but sort of tackle it in a way that, that allows for multiple entry points. Because I think that that's what you're sort of alluding to is that there, there might be, like if you were going to school today, there, there, there might be, depending on, on who's helping you curate it, different veins of, of knowledge because there's, there's so much more to, to gain access to. I think I just went down my own little rabbit hole there for a moment. <laughs> I think there, that's also... Yeah, you. I think you explained some of what I was thinking a little bit better, especially well, I mean, with the Jenks diagram. And then, yeah. Well, and, and, and you and I have talked about this a million times, is that it's things like this sketch here, is that it's, or your experience in New Canaan. It's like, it's like what that mentor that I was talking about with Philip Johnson, one of the things he would, he would do a lot of architecture criticism and architecture review as a historian and as an architect. And one of the things that he would, often say is I'm not going to give you my review of a particular building until I've been there. Yeah. Until I've actually, you know, gotten on the plane and flown to wherever it is to actually go and see it um, and walk around and experience. He goes, yeah, I can look at the photos too. I can read the plans. I can, I can hear the interview with the architect or architecture firm, but I, I want to go and experience it because somebody is, is, is curating that experience for me until, until I have the experience myself and put my point of view in the, in the, in the, in the discussion, like Jamie has entered the chat, then how, how is it going to influence me? And so like, for me, studying somebody like me said, I'd seen some Mies buildings, but this I have not been to New Canaan. I, I I do want to go, but I have been to the Farnsworth, which has been recently renamed to Edith Edith Farnsworth House, and it's no longer referred to as the the Mies Glass House because uh, it wasn't even Mies's house. It was this other person who had right. was the the patron of it. Yeah, the client. Nothing, none of that matters. Enough zero. Oh. It's recording now. Hey, at least we didn't get forty five minutes in and go. Oh shit, rookie mistake. All right, all right, ready. Let's, let's try that again. That's pretty good. All right, ready?